CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ben Jarofsky here. Once a month or so, Vincent E. Normand comes on our show. We talk cannabis. We talk race relations, NBA basketball. All of those things, Vincent E. Norman is an expert on all three things. We got to talk about what's going on in Minnesota. You and I met right after George Floyd was murdered. And uh, we talked a lot about that over the summer to finally get the trial going. And, of course, uh, we couldn't have Vincent E. Norman on the show without doing a little basketball talk. Vincent uh, is an old coach, big-time basketball fan, and uh, used to work uh, with Michael Jeffrey Jordan and Nike, so he knows the game inside and out. All right, let's start first with uh, cannabis. We'll close with basketball. Uh, All right, start with the cannabis update. Is there anything new? Do I have good news to say, Vincent, about distributing uh, licenses to uh, black people so they can get a piece of the pie of that glorious, gigantic, huge, ever-expanding cannabis pie? Go. Well, you know, to date, uh, there is no good news. Uh, you know, just found out that uh, they are now trying to issue additional licensing and looking at uh, to reshuffle the deck, so to speak, you know, uh, first of all, you know, to have a lottery and then to have a selected group of 20 for 20 uh, different individuals or groups for 75 license. You know, I just didn't understand the logics behind that when you have over 700 applicants applying for dispensary license in the state of Illinois, uh, at least probably uh, 70% of that were minority uh, owned uh, applicants, uh, black and brown people, women, and uh, Latinos. And to come down and narrow it to 20 for 75 license just was unacceptable. So um, there's really no good news. I mean, here we are, you know, March 9th, um, looking at somewhere around May before anything really official probably be issued out And at that time, if you do the math, if they made a billion dollars last year and you add another five months to that, we're looking at at least $1.5 billion, somewhere around that ballpark. And none of that money is is, uh, being made from uh, African-American, black and brown people, women, or Latinos. And that's just unacceptable. We're in the third largest city in the United States, a very large state itself, Illinois. It's unacceptable. Yeah. So. Really is unacceptable. It's very disappointing and disheartening. And 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 the point you just made, Vincent. Let's just talk about that. Uh, every month, or every, Tommy Shuba, our friend, uh, the the cannabis beat writer for the Chicago Sun Times, has another story about sales going through the roof. People buying uh, legal uh, cannabis uh, uh, in the state of Illinois. Money coming into the state of Illinois' coffers. Money going. Uh, to the proprietors who own these establishments. This this is a market that's probably even bigger than I uh, estimated it would be. Uh, it's pretty astounding, don't you agree? 
Yes, I think even the cannabis industry itself, you know, I mean, you got states like Colorado and California, they're looking at ah, saying, wow, you know. And Illinois is a a, a state that's bordering uh, around Indiana, Wisconsin, Missouri, and these states that, you know, that's connected. And they're just coming across state lines, you know, buying cannabis here in, 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 in Illinois, which is now recreational since uh, January 2020. You know, we have a pandemic. We have all these other things going on. And still, marijuana, weed, cannabis, whatever you want to call it, is essential. It is essential. And not to mention that, uh, you know, for medical patients, you know, like, again, I, I'm just – really concerned, but I'm also uh, encouraged that uh, some of the dispensaries are still, you know, uh, carrying that torch for medical patients, making sure that they get the right uh, dosage and, uh, you know, uh, cannabis or edibles or whatever they need to continue to have normalcy in their lives because that's the most important thing, you know, because that's where it started from, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, in your estimation, what's happened to the Ill- illegal market? We talk about uh, we we had this conversa- uh, conversation conversation uh, in the early stages uh, of last year when, the, when when reefer was still being we were still getting used to the notion that it was legal, and I kept wondering like what was going to happen to the illegal market? Was it going to sustain itself uh, with legalization? What's your sense of uh, what's happened to the illegal market? You know, the illegal market, uh, uh, especially here in Illinois, but across state lines are still uh, doing well. Matt, actually, I, I, I think that uh, it hasn't hurt at all. And really, in, in general, it's probably increased more. And I say that because, you know, when, when the legalization comes, you know, people feel a little bit more comfortable in, in going to uh, the corner store or, you know, the different uh, – <laughs> underground sellers or, you know, I don't like to use the word drug dealers. I'm going to just completely move, remove that from cannabis period, because, you know, I feel like uh, not giving people the opportunity to uh, sit at the table. How can you tell the people on the sideline that they can't sell cannabis? How can you say that? How can you say that? Well, you're doing it illegal when you set the bar so high and disenfranchise people for the opportunity to, again, be in this market, but you want to scrutinize and say that they're doing it illegal, but yet still all these uh, companies and these dispensaries are popping up all over the city, all over the states, selling cannabis, you know, legal, legally. And so, you know, my thing is, you know, uh, Ben, is that, Right now, we're in the process of forming a coalition of attorneys, and I am really uh, sincere about this and having a group to be advocacies for any, any person that is charged or trying to be prosecuted for selling marijuana, cannabis on the market when it's, ob- when it's obviously legal in this state in other states, yeah. and you want to now say you want to prosecute them, but not prosecute the others. I got an issue with that. No, I'm I'm with you, and follow me on the logic here. First of all, I should, uh, the war on drugs was a complete catastrophe. In my, this is me speaking. This is Ben, not Vincent. I want, this is me speaking. So whether you agree with me or not, you can take issue with me. The war on drugs was a complete catastrophe. It was based on. Uh, 
lies. It was based on distortions of how dangerous cannabis. Just let's deal with the marijuana aspect of it. Marijuana was to your health. Uh, And uh, to me, it was just an excuse to lock people up, particularly like black people up. It's just me speaking. And so you're absolutely correct. (laughs) What these big companies are doing now is merely a legalized version of what Billy Bob and Joey were doing on the corners when it was illegal and are still doing now, if it's illegal to to your point. So I I, I do agree. I think it's hip hop. It's hypocrisy to applaud a legalized uh, drug dealer and lock up an illegal one. Your response. Yes. I mean, uh, and again, and and so for those listeners out there and um, you know, just people in the, in the industry itself and whether people agree with me or not, I mean, you know, it should be a it should be an even playing field, point blank. And this has not happened in the state of Illinois. Here we are going into the 15th month last year. Excuse me, last month, February, Illinois racked up 80 million dollars. And again, none of that money went to black and brown people or women or Latinos. And that is unacceptable. So my stance is this, you know, uh, as a as the founder of the Marijuana Hall of Fame, but also a cannabis activist, is that if someone that is out there, you know, creating a business in cannabis, you know, and they didn't have the opportunity, the fair opportunity, I should say, to obtain a license and they're selling on the market and they have their uh, customer base and they are charged for uh, selling cannabis when right around the corner in downtown Chicago and out in Skokie and all these other different places, suburban out here selling weed legally, I'm going to be one of the first with a team of lawyers to stand in that courtroom and defend that individual. And I guarantee you, if in front of a 12 men, women jury, there will be no conviction. Mm. How? How can people convict someone, you know, that's doing the exact same thing as some of these so-called legal dispensaries now? And they haven't had a fair chance to be able to sell the cannabis in the market. No way. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And, uh, and I stand on that. And like you said earlier, you lost some, you lost some sponsors. I've lost some sponsors. I've lost some opportunities, but you know what? At the, at the end of the day, I'm going to stand by those people. I'm going to stand by the simple fact that black and brown people, we have been hit the hardest and it's unacceptable, and now everything's legal, and then we're supposed to all just kumbaya. It's not going to happen. This is, let's just pause for a moment and think about what you just said. Uh, and I agree with you I, that the illegal market is still thriving and booming. Uh, even as, as I said, Tommy Schuber every month, another story about millions sold. Uh, just think about the combination the illegal and the quote-unquote legal markets for cannabis, it's through the roof. I mean, <laughs> it's just through the freaking roof. The, 
it's it's mind boggling how beloved this plant is in our in this country, and yet our country still is struggling, Vincent, with this like schizophrenic notion about whether it's safe, whether it's dangerous, whether you you are allowed to say that you smoke it in polite circles. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's yes. We're a freaked out country, Vincent. Go ahead. The freaked out country, you know, it's, you know, I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the fact that uh, here we are, 50, 50 states strong. We still have 13 sitting on the sidelines that won't even acknowledge the medical side of cannabis. Kentucky, you know, Texas, South Dakota, North Dakota, the list goes on. 13 states are still sitting on the sideline. But I'm encouraged when I see Mississippi, which passed medical, even though the clergymen, we know how that goes, those preachers out there, those Catholic churches, whatever you want to call it, the clergymen, the law enforcement, the politicians, you know, and a few other people did not want cannabis in the state of Mississippi. But the people spoke. The people spoke. They got it passed. And now they're scrambling trying to figure out how to get this legislators putting things together uh, for the people in Mississippi to operate on the legal side of cannabis. And I want to say, uh, Ben, I want to stop using the word illegal market. And the reason why is because we have addressed this now as a legal market. So if it's legal to sell cannabis in the state of Illinois, you know, and you're stopping a cer- certain group of people, black and brown people, women, and you're stopping them from sitting at the table, then how can you say that they're being illegal when you're letting a certain group of people continue to sell legally? So I want to remove that 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 stigma in the, in the term illegal market because, you know, I think everybody should have a fair share to be able to sell cannabis. Yes, there should be some regulations and policies and procedures in place, but when you don't include everyone, then you're not playing fair. So yeah. I want to remove that whole thing about illegal market. There is no illegal market in Illinois if you're not treating everybody the same. Sell your cannabis. And if you have a problem with the legal system, contact the right people, myself included, and we're going to defend you. All right. By the way, I had, uh, I just for the record, I had air quotes. <laughs> I put the air quotes around illegal. I, your point's well taken. Uh, but it, it uh, your, your point's well taken. And listen, I believe the uh, other market, let's just call it that for a while, uh, the not officially sanctioned by the state market, uh, will always underprice the state market and will probably always exist because of that Vincent. Yes, sir. Of course, you know, uh, there's no taxes attached, et cetera, and so forth. And, um, so anyway, this is a conversation we'll be having a, for a while. This is our, our joint crusade, no pun intended. And, um, you know, uh, it's, Again, before we leave it and go on to other things, it just really baffles me 
that it's taking us so long to emerge from this bizarre state. And we talk about uh, athletes. We're going to get to the NBA in a little while, but just how athletes are starting to uh, assert their right to use cannabis for whatever aches and pains they're facing and how they would be punished. They'd be testing for cannabis in the NBA and the NFL and the baseball. I'm like, Vincent, it's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy that it's taking this long to transition out of the our old state. That's just, just it's you know, and, and to your point, you know, from a medical standpoint, you know, I uh, I'm, I'm constantly asked about my uh, input and you know and on on the medical side, and and I talked about how CBD, you know, cannabis CBD has helped me with my body, you know, and, and the injuries that I could sustain as an athlete, uh, particularly my knees, I, I walk a lot better, you know, I feel a lot better. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, when you talk about it, you know, uh, it's just now being lifted a little bit more people being accepted more with CBD. Uh, but the, the cannabis plant itself, it has so many great applications for it. Hemp, we know hemp is uh, an, an amazing plant, a, a part of cannabis that uh, people have built homes with, you know, all kinds of, you know, systematic things that have come from it. Uh, right now we're in the process with hemp tinsels, you know, create, you know, removing plastic and replacing it with, with hemp uh, products. You know, there's, you know, biodegradable. So all these different things that take place, you know, uh, with this cannabis plants is amazing. And uh, other, other countries get it. We're just caught up in the, the political side of it and, uh, and just not really telling the truth about what this is, what it really is. And if you look back at the history, going all the way back to the 1300s, this thing has always been legal and up till the, 19 around what 1937 when they passed the, the, the act and said okay this is going to be uh, listed as a schedule one but prior to that cannabis was always legal and has always been a great application for all type of farming systems and different uh, projects you know that help again that help the community that, that help individuals and so from all the way back then to that history until now, here we are. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. All right, let's uh, shift gears here and um, talk about the ongoing trial in Minneapolis. Derek Chauvin just getting started, the police officer. And as I uh, stated at the outset, Vincent E. Norman and I met. Uh, we actually haven't physically met. We've always been over uh, virtual meetings because this pandemic's been going on for a year now. I've known you for about a year now. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, but when, we first started talking, it was right after George Floyd was murdered. It was, things were really raw, Vincent. I remember um, a long conversation we had on a Saturday. I was driving somewhere and we were on the phone talking. Uh, and, and you were talking about how compelling, uh, it, it, it just how brutal it was to have to absorb the, the, the images of George Floyd's murder. And, uh, just the, the mental torment, you know, just of his crying out for his mother at the very end there. And uh, 
that conversation has stayed with me for a long time. I know it stayed with you as well. And here we are all these months later. And finally, the man who put his knee on George Floyd's neck uh, up for, uh, for murder in that trial. Just your general thoughts about what's transpired in the last year. Go ahead, Vincent. You know, you know, it, it's still, you know, you never get that image out of your head. And I, I and I know I'm, several individuals, like, they didn't even want to watch the videotape, you know, just hearing about it. Um, the image still stays in my head. And to watch a cavalier police officer with his hands in his pocket and his knee on that man's neck. And as you watch that image, and everybody's seen it, and it's like in broad daylight, this man, it's like a, it was like a public lynching. This man just took this man's life for no reason whatsoever. And, uh, and like you said, now a year later, here we are going to trial. And I kind of removed myself away from the media a little bit. And they talked about they're trying to find someone that has no opinion about this case. How are you going to find someone that doesn't have an opinion or find anyone in the United States that doesn't know about this case? They would have to have been living under a rock. And we know as, uh, there may be a few people that live under a rock, but not, not, in, the, not in the state of Minnesota. Not in the state. Yeah, I, I, I follow the first. Uh, I just read an article before we uh, started chatting. Uh, uh, and Vincent, there was a woman was eliminated as a, a being a potential juror because she had said she was going to use uh, this trial as a way uh, to find justice uh, for George Floyd. And so, of course, the defense lawyer said, well, we can't have you. On, <laughs> we can't have a, you on this jury. So you have to be removed from the jury. So when I read that now. Vincent, I, I must confess, I've been covering Chicago politics for a long time, so I'm very skeptical about people. So my first thought was that lady just said that because she knew that's what would get her kicked off the jury because she didn't want to have to be on that jury. Uh, you know. But even if that were true, it just shows how removed from reality a, a criminal trial is. We all know Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. We all saw it. You know what I'm saying? So from a standpoint of, you know, is he like guilt and innocence? I, I, I'm really struck as to what a defense lawyer can get a jury to do to get them so that they won't see what they see, if you follow what I just said. Do you get what I mean? Yes. I mean, I don't know what they expect that. How are they going to convince a jury that this man did not kill the other man when we see the image in front of us? Help me out here, Vincent. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, everyone should have a fair trial. You know, we, we know that. Uh, but we saw this in real time. You know, this, this, uh, this, in, this incident was being filmed live. There were 
and there were people out there. There was paramedics out there um, that were screaming, outraged, and telling this officer, please take your knee off this man's neck. Please, you're killing this man. We saw all this in real time. And yet and still, he continued to torment. He continued, even after the man's last breath, even when the paramedics came and really pretty much pronounced this man dead. The, 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 the sad part to that was you have a, you know, a selected group of people who's supposed to protect life. They walked away. No one thought to get this man CPR. No one thought to aid this man at any point in time during this incident. And I think they said it was a uh, maybe a minute or two or a few more seconds that he stayed on the man's neck even after the fact. You know? Yeah, it's you know, going to be it's, really... It's, 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 it could have been my uncle. It could have been my brother. Man, you know, I mean, when is it going to stop? You know, when is it going to stop? And the, and the bottom line is this. Then, um, you know, you hate to say fight fire with fire, but I mean, we're talking about human life. We're talking about humanity. And uh, people that don't have respect for life, they shouldn't be here. That's the bottom line. They shouldn't be here. So, uh, Although I think this man should get a fair trial, but I don't see no way in hell that he could walk away without a guilty verdict. And that's not even enough to yeah. me. But I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's um, let's try to close on a little lighter side. Uh, the NBA, our passion that we share, our love for basketball. I, I've officially retired from the game of basketball, Vincent. I don't know if I told you that. <laughs> I stopped playing. I said, nothing good can come out of me playing any more basketball. So I just talk about it and watch it. Um, and you were fortunate enough to be in Atlanta for All-Star Weekend. Uh, you still have your your friends and your contacts in the NBA. Yes. Uh, so, uh General thoughts. Uh, we'll start with my beloved Chicago Bulls. You always make fun of me because I, I remain loyal to that team. I just want to remind people, Benson E. Norman's from Chicago, too. So I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think? Is the the future looking good for my beloved Bulls? Or uh, is it as bleak as it's been for the last couple of years? Go ahead. You know, Billy Donovan, you know, as I said uh, before, you know, he's an excellent teaching coach. And... Uh, I think, you know, he, he you can see that he's got these guys. He's just a young group, too. You got them buying into what he's selling. Um, 
And I'm going to go on record and say your beloved Bulls have a shot at getting to the playoffs this year. <laughs> Seven or eight seeded. Um, you know, I'm still a Bulls fan. You know, I I, I support them. I you know, uh, you know, um, I'm going to uh, like I said again, go on record. They're gonna they're gonna get to the playoffs. They're, they're playing a lot better. Uh, you know, Zach uh, was uh, Levine. Uh, Zach Levine. Zach attack. Zach Levine is doing his thing. You know, he's doing his thing and. Uh, they got a host of, you know, uh, guys there that's uh, uh, Kobe White. You know, he's, you know, uh, he had took a step back a little bit, but I think he kind of got in, got with the program. And, he, you know, uh, they, they got a good combination of, of players, you know, and they got, you know, one, one of the main things you got to have is uh, at least two people on the team that can score mm-hmm. down the stretch. And I think they, they're starting to, uh, you know, assert themselves. So, you know, there's hope for the Bulls, Chicago Bulls. There's hope. And, uh, All right, I need to hear you know, that. You're going to have a good time with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, it doesn't take much at this stage to satisfy me with uh, basketball. If the Bulls make it to the playoffs, and even if they lose, I'll, that'll still be something. It'll be better than last year. And I love this rookie, Patrick Williams. I just am watching this young man. He's only 19 years old, Vincent. And every day, you know, he accepts the challenge and he just gets a little bit better. And you can see he's not intimidated by it. And they got him covering LeBron James and Giannis and uh, Kawhi Leonard. They, they put him on the, the, you know, the superstars. And he's right. quitting himself well. He's only 19. And I look at that and I go, you know, this gives me hope for the future. If this, if this young man d- develops and gets his skills together in three years, he could be a superstar. So... Uh, I have a little hope there uh, for my Bulls. Yeah, and, and, and then I also think that, you know, the Bulls, you know, uh, they, they're they starting to change the culture a little bit. Uh, you know, you know, you have to uh, be really inclusive with, with the players. And, and what I mean by that, of course, there's black and white players on the team, but what I mean by that is the uh, theologies of the uh, – of their personalities, you know, being able to accept individuals uh, as in their characteristics of who they are and uh, be able to acknowledge that and, and, and have an all-inclusive type of team where no matter what their views are, they're basketball players. Bring them along, you know, have that type of culture, that type of environment, and then they'll start getting some really, really big, time free agents and that's what's really going to push them over the top because if you look back at the history I remember when they brought Ben Wallace in and they refused to let the man wear a headband which he had wore since he was six years old and he comes in and they signed a big contract and you know somebody asked me like didn't they tell him beforehand I said no they didn't when he got to the team they told him oh um, we don't allow players to wear headbands. It's almost like taking uh, Superman's cape away, you know? And so if you think about it, Ben Wallace was never the same. He played nothing like he did when he was with Detroit. And, uh, you know, and it was the thing about the cornrows, you know, it's like, well, you know, we don't want players with braids and stuff like that. So the Bulls have set themselves up for uh, the scrutiny of not really having free agents want to come and play here because of that. So again, they need to change that and, and and be more vocal about it and acceptance. And I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. The bulls lost their mind 
there was that period of 20 years after Jordan retired uh, with the, the cornrows and the headbands. And like, what are you guys trying to do? Do you not want to win? Is that it? You just, do you want to torment me? Is that it? You want to torment Ben? Is that what this is about? Uh, but you're right. They, uh, they signed um, Ben Wallace uh, from the Pistons. And, and, and so I want to ask you something else about my beloved Chicago Bulls. There's the Jordan fans and then there's the Bulls fans. And I know a lot of guys like this, they're like, they love, they were on that bandwagon in the 90s when the Bulls won the six. And then when the Bull, when Michael left or the Bulls did not do everything they could to keep him in town, that's it. They're not, now these guys, they like the Lakers, like who's ever, what's the, the flavor today? The, the heat, you know what I'm saying? They'll go, but that's what I'm, there's a distinction, Vincent, between Jordan fans in Chicago and Bulls fans in Chicago. Are you more of a Jordan fan than a Bull fan? Yeah, you know, to your point, to have a three-peat team and not to allow that ensemble cast to come back for a fourth run for the title. Who does that? You know, who really does that? And and to dismantle that team and then to tell the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, that you're going to play for a college coach or you can leave. Wow. I give you six rings and just the respect that you give me. Hey, you kind of, if you think about it, look at the New England Patriots. They didn't make it to the playoffs. No, There's a guy named, uh, you know, uh, I don't hate to say his name, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I want a big fan. But Brady there, you know, Tom Brady there, won his seventh ring, you know. And uh, so, you, you know, sometimes the owners and sometimes the organizations, you know, don't show the loyalty that they should. And I think that uh, the Patriots is going to see a huge downfall from that, especially the fact that when Tom won, you know, they're going to have a hard time getting free agents to come there. So they're going to they're going to get the same curse that the Bulls got when they cut Michael Jordan. By the way, uh, I, that's a great analogy. And I was never a Tom Brady fan. I never liked uh, – I'm through with the Bears, as you know. I'm just absolutely I, – until the Bears get a black quarterback, I'm through with the Bears. And that's just me. It's just through with the Bears. I'm telling you right now. It didn't hold me that. But I never liked the Patriots. They were so arrogant. But their arrogance was stupidity. They promoted this notion that it was the team and the system and that Brady just was alarmed for the ride. And you're right. They didn't look at Bilicek, well, Mr. Br- you know, Mr. System, and Arthur Kraft, Mr. System. What happened when Brady left? You guys didn't even make the playoffs. So, right. uh, yeah. All right, we'll close with your prediction, which we're going to hold you to. Uh, <laughs> so you said that my beloved Bulls will make the playoffs. God bless you for saying that, making me feel good. Uh, right now, I want you to tell me, in your opinion, who the two, the, the NBA championship uh, finals, the two teams, one from the East and one from the West, who will compete for the championship? 
Man, you just told me Blake Griffin joined the Nets. Yes. If the Nets, a healthy Nets team, don't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or represent the the East, uh, what is it, Steve Nash? Yeah, Steve Nash, the coach. He'll lose yep. his job. He'll, he'll lose his job. He has to. You have to let him go. With that team, they clearly are the favorites to win the NBA championship. Now, over in the West, I'm still cringing on that old Kawhi Leonard <laughs> team. Boy, they let me down. Boy, oh, they let me down. But, you know, I think that uh, there's an edge right there. There's an edge. And I'm going to say that this was a learning lesson <laughs> for the for uh, the Clippers. At least I hope so. But, you know, clearly uh, the Lakers are still, you know, the favorite in the West. Yeah. Um, but you have a really strong Utah team and the Dallas team. So it's a toss-up over there. But, uh, you know, let's say it's, it's between the two Lakers. I mean, two of the L.A. teams. You know, I'm with got. you. Uh, I uh, I love uh, Doc Rivers over in uh, Philly and Bede and Simmons. Uh, I think they'll it'll be uh, Doc uh, Sixers battling it out with the Nets to get to the West. And I think uh, you're absolutely correct, Clippers, Lakers. And if if right now, just to, for the sake of argument. I got the Nets versus Lakers in one of the greatest finals ever. I'm hoping everybody's healthy. It's going to be a great finals if everybody's healthy, Vincent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, Vincent E. Norman, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure talking to you, all right? I appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, have a great day. You too. That's a great Vincent E. Norman. I'm Ben Jarowski. Take care, everybody.